0: It is some, some summertime. The fact that there are kids underfoot, oh boy, do I have a lot of kids underfoot, and ripe strawberries in the field reminds me that yes, summer has definitely arrived. What do you love most? Is it camping trips? Is it backyard barbecues? My hubby would answer that it's grilling season. He is the master of our grill. One of my favorite things he sizzles up is jumbo shrimp with sweet onions and bell peppers. That's become our Father's Day tradition. Even though he's the dad that we're honoring, he is happily grilling away and has his kids, my kids, our kids and the grandkids gobbling up every morsel as fast as he can put it onto a platter and reload. Having him cook for our horde seems an odd way to honor him, but it is the way he wants to celebrate his day, and we are so very grateful to him for blessing us with the shrimps of his labor and the hamburgers and hot dogs and sausages and all the many other ways that he cares for us and spoils us throughout the year. Fathering is different than mothering, to be sure, but it is vitally important. And so, while Father's Day was a couple of weekends ago, we are going to continue celebrating all the men who have stepped up to the plate and been positive role models. Today, I'm joined on Love Someone by a dad whose work I discovered on social media. When I say discovered, what I mean is that his self-published writings wrecked me slayed me laid me out i ugly cried ugly cried when i first started reading his words it's as if his words and thoughts and feelings it's like he stepped into my brain into my heart and soul especially after i lost my boys my sons and i had no words to put to the grief or the pain his name is john rodell He describes himself as a comic who unexpectedly became an Amazon best-selling poet-writer when he began to turn his faith crisis, his depression, his struggles into poems that have now been read all over the world and resonated with so many of us. Over the past several years, John has published four books. Hey God, Hey John, Any Given Someday, Untied, And Remedy, his newest release is called Upon Departure. His work has been shared millions and millions of times across social media, and his fearless writing has attracted readers from all over the world, including me. He loves sharing the story of how he learned to take his broken heart, his brokenness, and turn it into a wind chime. I am so thrilled to be able to welcome John to the podcast today, and I have many, many questions for him that we'll get to right after I share a few words about my podcast sponsor. With the arrival of warmer weather, I want to welcome back one of my favorite podcast sponsors, Laura Geller Beauty. They have the perfect summer essentials that include three of my favorites. For a little shimmer and sparkle, the Champagne Glow Spackle Skin Perfecting Primer Can't Be Beat. Another is the Baked Bronze and Brighten Bronzer. It's easy to apply and gives you that sun-kissed look without ever appearing orange or unnatural. And I finished with the Jelly Balm Hydrating Lip Color with Vitamin E for luscious, hydrated summer lips. Many days, I use only these three products to look and feel ready for whatever summer brings my way. You'll find it all at laurageller.com. That's laurageller.com for the perfect addition to your summer beach bag. So with me on Love Someone today is someone I absolutely love, but I had not yet met. Um, I love you through your words. John Rodell, welcome to Love Someone with Delilah.
1: Oh, my goodness. I am so absolutely thrilled and excited to be here. Thank you so much.
0: When I discovered your poetry, your stories, your songs, I mean, they they sing to me when I read them. I fell in love with you. I fell in love with your heart.
1: Thank you so much. So it's really interesting you mentioned music because when I write, I listen I listen to like violin music and cello music every single time I write. I don't listen to it when I'm not writing. But when I write, I feel like I'm, it almost feels lyrical to me. I feels it feels like I'm connecting to something other than just, just writing. It's interesting that you mentioned that. I was just thinking about that last night.
0: Yeah. When I, when I read your poetry, I read it in song. Like I hear it as music, not just in my head, but music in my soul—it's—it's it's powerful. Your words are and powerful. That, that, that,
1: that was my first introduction. I, so I, you know, I'll be very transparent. I didn't really read poetry or study poetry until it started just per, emerging out of my little penguin fingers. Like it just started happening one day, and I wasn't really versed in it. I hadn't—I didn't even follow button poetry on YouTube. I—I I, just—it just emerged out of nowhere. And my, I think looking back, my I fell in love with lyrics and music, like you would get those cassette tapes and you would open it up and you two would have their lyrics like printed in microfiche.
0: Okay, wait, stop, go, stop for the youngsters in our crowd. <laughs> yes, yes. A cassette tape was what we lived by back in the 80s yeah. and 90s.
1: Yes. Yeah, because those lyrics, those lyrics that still ring with me years later, Peter Gabriel or Sarah McLaughlin or whatever that is, like you could feel energy in those lyrics that you could feel infused in those lyrics. And that's when I'm putting together work, I, I want that energy in my heart to come out as best as I can, because I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I mean, you're exactly right. I am not one of those writers who's writing from on top of the mountain saying, oh, I know how the world works or anything. I am a wanderer in this world. I am I am merely an observer trying to figure things out. I was born and raised Catholic, I'm um, pretty strong Catholic family, but the older I've gotten, the less tethered I am to my upbringing as far as my traditional religion, I find myself more of a vagabond. But I want that energy of my curiosity and my my wandering and my heart to come out in whatever I write.
0: Well, it certainly does. John Rodell, yeah. uh, you, you came to my attention because my uh, podcast producer and social media director, shared one of your poems on my page and I didn't even realize like I've been so out of it the last five years since I lost my son and I'm reading one of your poems and I'm sobbing just sobbing and it was one about a loss yeah. and grief and yeah. it perfectly it, it put words to my pain mm. it 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 painted a visual picture of where I was at at that moment. I don't know. It was so beautiful and so powerful. And um, sometimes, you know, they, because I'm a parent and I know you're a parent, a lot of your writings um, speak to all the things we go through.
1: Yeah. It's uh, being a parent is one of the most helpless feelings in the world uh, because at some point, One of the most, it is is the, the quintessential helpless experience. You love something with so much energy and you're holding so tightly to that hand, but your job is to start letting go of this love of this creation of this soul bond you have and to let them fly. And it's the hardest thing. My oldest son, he was, uh, he's been living with autism and He was our he's our first born. And he he taught me so much about parenting from the get go. I had so many expectations of what it meant to be a parent. I had so many ideas like, oh, my child's going to be like this or that. And I'm going to put these (laughs) pressures and expectations (laughs) on them. He he was my first uh, teacher in improv. It's the idea of yes. And this is what you have in front of you. Yes. And here we go. Here's the adventure.
0: And it is an adventure. How old is your oldest now? He
1: is 22 now. Um, when he was diagnosed here in Wyoming in 2002, there was very little autism resources um, around here at the time. Autism has evolved. The research and autism support for autism has grown over the last two decades. But in 2002, when he was diagnosed at two years old, we were kind of on our own on an island and we kind of had to figure things out as we went along. And I did grieve. And it's the most amazing thing. We had to go down to Denver, Colorado, about two hours away to have him diagnosed. We drive down to Denver, and we kind of knew it was coming at this point. And they gave us the diagnosis. We're driving home, and I'm still stuck in the doctor's office grieving, grieving this idea of what being a parent was going to look like, grieving what it meant about being a father was going to look like. The doctor said he probably won't live independently. He will never have some of the things that you and I take for granted, first kisses, walks in the park things like that he will not experience the same way we do and i was grieving and i was lost and i was still stuck in that doctor's office but my wife who was driving was already five steps ahead she was already three years ahead she was already thinking okay we're going to get a hold of these people we're going to do this we're going to do that if that doesn't work we're going to try this and that and she was improvising right there on the start and that for me was probably the first moment my heart cracked open And all the things I was holding on to, all these expectations of life and what my journey would look like, I let go of. And his journey with autism has taught me so much, taught me so much about life.
0: Top, top lesson, top miracle, top truth that just comes to your mind spontaneously that you have learned either through his autistic diagnosis or just parenting, because I've got a lot of kids and... Some of them have been diagnosed with different uh, terms, different mm-hmm. uh, medical, a lot of medical issues. Most of the kids I've adopted, a lot of the kids I've adopted have medical issues. But, um, you know, I have very typical children that I have raised that still, the, all those expectations you talk yeah. about, forget about it. <laughs> right. Forget about it. Right. So top Top truth that just comes to the front of your brain.
1: Be desperate to connect. That would be it. We were so my I was stuck. I was I was grieving. I was lost for about two, three years. My wife said, We're gonna try horseback therapy, we're gonna try music therapy, we're gonna try all these different things, and we're gonna be desperate. We don't care how far out it is or how new age it is or what our neighbors are going to think or any of that, we're going to be desperate to build a bridge between us and our son. And we tried everything that is imaginable. And eventually we found the the connection that worked for us, but it took years. And it was that desperation. It was that we don't care what it looks like. We're going to build some sort of thread between us and our nonverbal child. And then we're going to build a family from there. So, But it was that desperation. Had, Had my wife not had that I would have been stuck in grief. She wasn't. She was already a mama bear. Let's go. Let's get to work. And I was still stuck an hour ago in the doctor's office. And that's that for me changed her attitude and his courage changed my life. And I think that's why I'm writing today, because it broke something open in me. And I approach my writing the same way of I don't I'm desperate to connect with how I'm feeling I'm desperate to connect with my own heart that I was estranged from for so many years. And I took those lessons, and I've applied it to my life.
0: So one of the poems you wrote that I just read recently, I can't remember the title of it, but yeah. it talked about your um, feeling lost in your faith. Uh, it I've read a lot of your Hey God ones where yeah. it sounds like you have a pretty sweet relationship with the creator with the the great I am but one of them that I just read recently because this is this is what happens for me when I go through a great loss my my brother my mother I didn't have faith when I lost my brother that's what led me to my faith but my mom right. and then three boys my adopted son my bio son and my stepson it doesn't make me question God. It doesn't, right. you know, a lot of people lose their faith when they're going through grief. It draws me a lot closer. It, But it does put me in a place of, am I not hearing you? Am I, should I have done something else? Did I miss something you told me that could have prevented this? Right. And I read one of your poems recently about your faith crisis do you, do you know which one i'm talking about
1: i have i have a lot of poems where i address my faith crisis because that's where my writing really began i was in a place where i was ang- i was going to this well that i was told would be full of water my entire life and when i and whenever the going got tough i would just go to the well and i draw out some water and i drink it and i would go back to being a happy person but i went to that well And there was nothing in there. It was dry. And I became pretty angry at God. I became pretty angry at the idea of all these Sunday school teachers who had told me, you know, just pray and it'll get easier. Just have faith and it will come to you. And it wasn't coming for me. And it was like those 3D pictures in the 80s. You remember, you could look at them. And if you looked out of the corner of your eye, you could see like a unicorn jumping over like a rainbow. It was those crazy 3D pictures. It was a phase for like two years. I could never see them. No matter how I adjusted my eyes, moved my head, I could never see those images. And that was the same way with my faith life. I was praying, I was asking for help, and nothing was coming. And I was so angry that I did what any, uh, I guess, well-adjusted, forty-something-year-old man does. I went to Facebook and I started having these fake conversations with God about where I was in my faith journey. And I don't remember the exact poem you're talking about, but I, I know the spirit of it. I know, I know that I, I. I, I have never had a better relationship with God. It's a relationship now more than it is a formal ritual. It, we have a relationship, almost like friends meeting co- across the table from a coffee shop, at a coffee shop, talking about our life, talking about my life. And that's where I'm at now.
0: From the minute I found my faith, I've had relationship with yeah. my creator. He's, you know, the Lord is my best friend. But sometimes my best friend is silent.
1: Yes. And that's it's an impossible riddle for me. It's And that's why I don't speak from a place of evangel, evangelism or I have any idea of how any of this works. All I know is I, I feel this connection in my heart now more than I ever did when I was for, following the formula that was given to me. Kneel, stand, sit, kneel, walk, say this prayer, do all the calisthenics, do all those things. And I was kind of going through the motions and I, it it works for millions of people, billions of people across this world. And that's amazing. And that's great for them. I couldn't find my, I, I couldn't find an anchor in there anymore because I was having all these gray issues in my life. All these, it wasn't white and black. It wasn't, it was all these middle of the road issues that my faith wasn't addressing. And I was going through a mental health crisis at the same time. And All I was told was to keep praying and it'll get better. And it it didn't. And so I became very resentful. And so these conversations with God were very honest at first. Like, I'm not sure I believe in you anymore. And what I was writing back were things that I would want God to have said to me in that moment, not judgment, not shaming, not anger, not all these things that I think I might have been grown up to think that God would think in those moments, but it was it's okay. Relationships are a roller coaster. There's times where we're going to be close and times where we're going to be a little bit far apart, but the love exists no matter what.
2: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to
3: talk to an expert. Snagajob.com,
2: where America goes to hire.
3: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com iHeart. That's lifelock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
4: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
0: So have you got one of those, hey, God, it's me? Uh, poems handy that you could share with us today. Uh, uh-huh. Yes,
1: I, I could. I could. I could share one. Um, yes, and I will. I will probably have. I'll read both parts uh, to it. So, uh, oh, I won't, see, I, won't I wish we to, had uh, prepared
0: ahead of time because I could have been one part and you could have been. You could have been part. God
1: because typecasting. I should never ever play that
2: part.
0: Yeah, um, neither should I. I. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so this was a post that I made in two thousand six. Um, in one of my more darker moments. And I wrote it and put it on Facebook because that's my process. I don't encourage every other writer to just put all their work on Facebook because it's the wild west out there. But I, I, I wrote this and I put it on Facebook and no one really seemed to care at the time. I got a few likes, people, it was great. And then about 2018, I reshared it and it had a whole new audience because I think the world was in a different place. Um, People started, were feeling how I was feeling at the moment in which I wrote this. Um, So I'll, I'll just start. Me. Hey, God. God. Hello, my love. Me. I'm falling apart. Can you put me back together? God. I'd rather not. Me. Why? God. Because you aren't a peasant. Me. What about all the pieces of my life that are falling down onto the ground? God, let them stay there for a while. They fell off for a reason. Take some time and decide if you need any of those pieces back. Me. But you don't understand. I am breaking down. God, no. You don't understand. You are breaking through. What you are feeling now are just the growing pains. You are shedding the things and the people in your life that are holding you back. You aren't falling apart. You are falling into place. Relax. Take some deep breaths and allow those things you don't need anymore in your life to fall off of you. Quit holding on to the pieces that don't fit you anymore. Let them fall off. Let them go. Me. But once I start doing that, what will be left of me? God. Only the very best pieces, me. But I'm scared of changing. God, I keep telling you, you aren't changing. You are becoming. Becoming who I created you to be, a person of light and love and charity and hope and courage and joy and mercy and grace and compassion. I made you more than the shallow pieces that you adorn yourself with or or the things you cling to with such greed and fear. Let them fall off of you. I love you. Don't change. Become. Become who I made you to be. I'm going to keep telling you this until you remember. Well, there goes another piece. God, well, let it be me. So I'm not broken? God, of course not. But you are breaking like the dawn. It's a new day.
0: Become. Wow. Wow. Can I just revisit one line? I made you more than the shallow pieces you cling to. Yes. How many people have realized the last couple of years, or have they, have they been able to realize they are so much more than those shallow pieces they cling to?
1: I think people are. Um, I hope they are, because when I first wrote it in 2016, it meant something to me, and I shared it, and you know, no one seemed to really mean anything to them. By the time this post really started going, it was about 2020 in the throes of COVID, I think people were able to start looking at all these things that we thought were important that aren't anymore. Status, going to cocktail parties and exchanging our LinkedIn information. Those things won't carry us on for the rest of our life. It's the relationships we build with one another. It's the kindness we show to one another. It's these, these things that we have that are celestial in nature, that, will, that are eternal, these, these truths and these, these things like that, these are who we are. We don't have to change to fit what the world wants of us. We were created out of love and light. We just have to fall back into who we were born to be. And that's when I was writing that. I was struggling with, I was a writer on Facebook talking to having fake conversations with God, and it was impossible for me to tell all my friends and family, you know, their lawyers, their CEOs, my brothers and a... a huge engineer for Xbox, I was the person having <laughs> writing poetry and writing these conversations on Facebook. That was my job at the time. And I felt such shame. But this conversation that I wrote in real time, I didn't know I was going to write it. It was a yes and improv piece. I just started writing it. And by the end of it, I felt connected to my purpose. And so that, that piece alone is kind of whenever I start feeling unanchored, I read that again and I haven't read that in a year so i'm really grateful i got to read it again today
0: don't you think that's when god works best when we just say okay use me
1: use yeah. me i don't plot my writing out i go by the seat of my pants i, I, I acknowledge how i'm feeling at the time and I, I feel it i let those emotions kind of have their have their moment with me i my depression i, I build a relationship with it and i listen to it i listen to what it needs. And then I write from that space. I don't write from an autopsy looking at it later that I've defeated it or vanquished it because I never will. I have a relationship with my depression. I have a relationship with my grief. And at that moment, I remember feeling so lost. And I just said, I want to build a relationship with how I'm feeling in that moment. And God just kind of took the wheel. And uh, by the time I was done with it, I knew I felt better. And um, the fact that it's helped other people, I mean, that's, that's amazing. and It's beyond anything I'm capable of. And it's the idea of these words I don't think are coming, downloading into me. I, I don't, I'm not that special. I think these were thoughts and words and love that's been in my heart the entire time. And I'm just kind of, I look at writing as I'm unearthing things. I'm, I'm, I'm like, like, uh, like Indiana Jones. I'm at, a, I'm at an archaeological dig pulling out these things that were embedded in me when I was born. And that's how I look at writing. It's more inward than it is outward.
0: But maybe, you know, through your kids, maybe through the journey of autism, maybe through mental illness, you get to go in and mine those treasures and share it with us in your poems.
1: And I look at these poems and these conversations as field reports from where I'm going inside to look at things. And I and so that's why I write without really knowing what I'm going to talk about just going inside my heart and sitting with it for a while and looking what's inscribed on the cave walls of my heart and then transferring it to the paper. Um, That's really kind of how I look at it. I'm not, I don't, my skill set is very, very small. But what I can do is I can, I'm very in touch with how I feel. And I think I can be in touch with how other people feel. When I write poetry, I don't always write about my own personal experience. I try to find that intersection with how I know my heart is feeling and how I know other people's heart is feeling. And we just kind of meet at that intersection where we can all hang out together. But I think the world is in a little bit different place than when I first started. And I think maybe maybe what I'm writing about now feels more relevant to folks.
0: It feels very relevant to me. It feels very relevant to my listeners. Every time we share something you've written, um, boy, the response is phenomenal. Do you have a chance ever to read the comments from people that you've touched? I mean people I, share uh, on my Facebook page yeah. when I reshare yeah. your poems. People yeah. share amazing things.
1: They do and it's
0: humbling. And uh, you know the private messages
1: of people when I talk about grief, I just released a poetry book on grief and the personal stories from people that they send to me about their own experiences of loss and grief are are heartbreaking. And I can't imagine what what everyone what people are going through. and it's absolutely humbling to hear these stories. I try to respond to everyone on the comments on Facebook. I, I, I used to be able to, it's becoming more and more difficult to be able to respond to everyone, but I read each one um, and not as an accolade or not as, oh, look at the look at everyone commenting. It's more of that relationship. I want to know how this touched somebody. And I want them to know that what they've written back is equally as important as what I wrote to start with. It's a conversation back and forth. And it's taking that broken part of me and turning it into something hopefully beautiful for the world while they're doom scrolling. I mean, it's exactly what you do. You take the hurt, the grief, the pain, and you're able to turn it into something beautiful for people so they can find solace and comfort. And that's, what I think I'm trying to do in my own work is, is turn these, these holes in my heart into like a wind chime or an instrument that makes music instead of just sits there as a broken vessel.
0: Well, I, I thought I could not have any more holes in my heart. I really thought, you know, that, that, that there was just going to be nothing left of the heart. And then God showed me, oh.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I'm um,
0: still standing and I'm still, so think, and like, I'm still breathing.
1: Yeah. And that's what what an example of courage for the world. Whenever somebody, before I really knew what loss was, when I was a child, I would go to a funeral and you would see you know, people still, I, I would always marvel. It's like, well, they don't seem too upset. They're keeping it together, but they keep it together for other people. They keep it together for their family. I, I remember my friend of mine, his father died when I was 14 and his, his, his mom didn't cry at the funeral. I remember asking my mom about that. I was like, why didn't she cry at the funeral? It, it boggled my mind. Be- my mom said, because if she would have started crying, she wouldn't have stopped. And, and that's, and now that I've experienced loss in my own life, I understand how that is. And I took all these, these feelings of grief and I, I, I sat with them and it was hard, but that's how I wrote all those poems on grief. And the one you were referring to, I think, is the one where I talked about grief being a coral reef, that we sit with it and it, it changes over time. And you, you, we, in America, we try to race through our grief. Oh, you get a weak bereavement, but you better get back to work pretty quickly. Oh, are you not over it yet? I mean, we treat it like a cold. We treat it like a disease, but grief is life-changing. It's a comet that hits our planet and it terraforms everything. So it's almost unrecognizable. But I find grief to be the most quintessential human experience because it's not just sadness. It's not just heartbreak. It's nostalgia. It's joy. There's those moments where the song plays on the radio that we shared and we loved together and it plays and then it brings me joy. Or there's my dad used to plant green green beans and whenever I smell fresh green beans in a garden, I can see my dad sitting right there covered in dirt in his overalls. I'm right there with him. Grief is proof that we are all entangled in the most wonderful ways. And as much as I I think grief is proof of the divine, grief is proof that we the love we share with each other is eternal. And so I'm fascinated by writing about it because I think it I think it is the greatest mystery of all.
0: Losing my boys has given me permission to be who I am and to stop feeling shame about mm-hmm. my discombobulated life
1: that's that's exactly right and that when my son was diagnosed with autism that grief I had I let it imprison me and then as time went on I let it empower me choosing this yes and life I control very little of what happens in my own life I can only control how I react to it and the more my son grew and and started to blossom through, uh, in, in his autism and sort of connecting with us in, in the world, I started finding courage in my own. To just, if he had the courage to be who he was unapologetically, he was, he doesn't care. He's, he's now 22 years old. He's at the university of Wyoming. He has defied so many expectations that were given to him 20 years ago through so much hard work on his part. And he is, he's got quirks. He is a very interesting guy. He's, he's, but he's kind to everyone he's ever met. But most importantly, He's unapologetically himself. He doesn't have those shallow pieces that I connected. I was all over myself. He, he discovered at two years old, what I, it took me till I was 42 years old to discover, that he doesn't have to change to fit this world. He's already something beautiful and important. He, he just has to embrace himself. And that's what took me years to get through. And that's why grief and heartbreak, and those things are awful They're terrible tunnels to pass through. But on the other side of it, we see how strong we are. On the other side of it, we see all these beautiful things we can make from our heartbreak to show other people that there's another side to devastation, that that there's an end to the storm. And maybe life won't look the same at the end of the storm, but you can become a lighthouse for somebody else on that same shore where you once washed up on. And that's kind of how I look at it is we, we, we get lost at sea, we get hurt, we get heartbroken, we wash up on shore, but we survive. And then we become a lighthouse to show other people how that we survive. And if someone like me, I am a hot mess. And that's why I say I don't write from authority. I write from experience.
0: Yeah, I am. I a, you and from, I are both hot messes, but yeah. boy, but, do your words yeah. resonate in my soul. I'm so grateful. Thank you. I'm having the most heartfelt conversation with a writer-poet that I've come to admire so much and eagerly look forward to each new body of work he shares with the world. We'll continue the conversation with John Rodell right after I give a shout out to one of today's podcast sponsors. I live for a great summer day. Time with my little ones outside, time in the garden, picking veggies that are ripe and ready for dinner each night. And that's before I tend to my animals. But all that only happens because I am pain-free, thanks to Omega XL. Years ago, I discovered a simple but fabulous product, Omega XL. This product reduces the pain that comes from inflammation I feel in my hands and in my back from years of gardening and horseback riding that I've enjoyed. Omega XL are tiny little capsules filled with omega oils extracted from the green-lipped mussels found off the coast of the pristine waters of New Zealand. When I take Omega XL every day, I feel so much better. My hands feel better. My back feels better. My joints feel better. The problem is inflammation. That's the root cause of this kind of pain. If you suffer from this pain as a result of inflammation, try Omega XL. This summer, feel healthier so you can do more. That is my wish for you. Use Omega XL forward slash love to order this for yourself. Buy one and get a second one free. OmegaXL.com forward slash love or via phone 800-940-0599. That's 800-940-0599. So, John, tell our listeners the titles of your books. I'm
1: a, I'm a self-published uh, dude. I, uh, I My first book was Hey God, Hey John. And it was the first like 500 conversations I was posting on Facebook about my faith crisis, emotional crisis. Um, that was my first book. And then I have four uh, books of poetry, um, Any Given Sunday, Untied. And then the two I posted this year, I published two this year, Remedy, which became an Amazon bestseller. And then um, Upon Departure, which is my book on grief that I just published a month ago. Um, so those are the those are my five little babies I have out in the world.
0: I'm going to have to get upon departure, but I'm also going to have to order like a case of tissue uh, from from someplace before I start reading it.
1: Yeah, it's it's. I built a relationship with my grief. That's how I when I wrote those poems. I just said I'm going to be in a relationship. I'm not going to avoid you. I'm not going to fight you. Let's let's learn from. I want to learn from you. And that's how those poems were kind of inspired from, I want I, I want to know why this is important, why I miss this person so much still. And I kind of explore that. And it was hard to write, but I, I, I felt immeasurably, immeasurably better when I was finished.
0: John Rodell, thank you for all of this time with us. Thank you for your writings. Thank you for being brave enough to put a voice to our heart, to our thoughts, to our depression, to our grief, to our foibles and you're just you just inspire me you bless me every time i read one of your poems even if it doesn't apply to me like even if i'm like not in that space i know people that uh, that it does and i'm forever forwarding your poems to my family (laughs) and friends so thank you
1: well i am so grateful to be able to have this conversation with you and this is this is surreal and it's amazing And I'm I'm going to cherish this talk we've had for the rest of my life. So I'm so grateful. Thank you so much.
0: God bless you. Bless you. Bye-bye. John Rodell shared with us how his writing journey began years ago when he found himself a dad raising a child with special needs. His poem, Autism Doesn't Mean Broken, will resonate with anyone who has had the privilege of loving somebody on the spectrum. If this is the first time you've heard about John, you'll want more. I promise your soul will want more. You should visit his website, johnrodell.com, J-O-H-N-R-O-E-D-E-L, johnrodell.com, where the greeting says he is the writer of the popular Facebook conversations entitled, Hey God, Hey John where he sits down with the divine to sort out the world, his mental health, why he shouldn't wear skinny jeans, and how to believe in the unseen in our modern world. His books can be found at both Amazon.com and at BarnesandNobles.com, and you can read his writings on his Facebook page and see how profoundly they have touched millions of people from all over the world by scrolling through some of the comments left there. My comments are there. When you scroll through, you'll find my comments. One thing is for certain, his brave authenticity, his vulnerability, his desire for connection has changed our world for good, one heart, one line of poetry at a time. My heart being one that was deeply, deeply touched. Let's gather together again in a few weeks. Until then, do me a favor, remember to slow down and love someone